Well, if you would, go ahead and take out your Bibles with me this morning. Let's open them up to the Gospel of Matthew. The Gospel of Matthew in chapter 11. Gospel of Matthew chapter 11. Uh, if you're here with us this morning and you don't have a Bible, uh, there are some provided for you uh, at the bottom of the seats in front of you. And uh, we encourage you to, uh, to have a Bible open. We want you to see uh, the Word of God. And uh, if you do choose to use one of those Bibles, you'll find our text for this morning on page 816. 816. I want to begin reading in Matthew 11, uh, beginning in verse 25. Uh, our focus this morning, as glorious as those first verses are, uh, our focus this morning is going to be on the last three, uh, verses 28 through 30. So let's read. This is the Word of God, Matthew 11, beginning in verse 25. At that time, Jesus declared, I thank you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, that you have hidden these things from the wise and understanding and revealed them to little children. Yes, Father, for such was your gracious will. All things have been handed over to me by my Father, and no one knows the Son except the Father, and no one knows the Father except the Son, and anyone to whom the Son chooses to reveal him. Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy, and my burden is light. Well, I want to be very upfront about my purpose this morning. I have only one goal. With God's help, I want to stand before you as an ambassador of the Lord Jesus Christ, and I want to urge you on His behalf to come to Him. Life is short. We are not promised tomorrow. Heaven and all of its glories is real. Heaven Hell and all of its terrors is real. All of us will one day find ourselves before the judgment seat of God, and we will enter one of these two realms. God is glorious. Everything, absolutely everything, begins and ends with God. You and I and nothing would exist apart from God. Everything that exists does so because God is rich and glory and God has chosen to express His glorious attributes both in creation and then in providence through the working of history. In other words, we live in a universe in which God is displaying His character by unfolding His plan. And it is a good plan. It is the best plan. It is a plan that will result in all of His perfect attributes being displayed in a way that will cause all of His people to stand and to wander and to worship and to give Him glory. And in this plan in which you and I both live, 
you will either taste and know the great grace and mercy of God, find yourself adopted as His child, brought to dwell with God forever, or you will taste and know His righteous anger against your sins, and you will serve as an object of His wrath as He displays His glorious justice upon you forever and ever. Friends, the truth of the matter is that this world is not about us. History is not about you, ultimately. In fact, you and I are drops in the bucket compared to God. We are part of something much bigger than us. This world, this plan that is being unfolded, it is, it is grander than us. It is all about God, His glory, His attributes, His character. It's all about Him. And the question for us this morning is this. This God, from whom all things are, by whom all things are, through whom all things are, for whom all things are, this God, is He your God? Do you know this God? Will you go to be with this God when you die? Or are you still separated from this God by your sins? Are you still living in rebellion against Him? Are you refusing to submit to Him though He is so worthy of your love? Though He is so worthy of your obedience? We believe in providence here at Mount Hermon. That is, we don't believe in luck or chance or coincidences. And therefore, it is our firm and settled conviction that every one of us who is here this morning is not here by accident, but we are here according to the sovereign plan of God. God has us here this morning for a reason. He is doing something in all of us. I pray that by the end of this message, we will find that what He has been doing is working to save souls and strengthen faith. One thing is very clear from the Bible, and we need to just get this out there at the very beginning. We do not deserve God's love. Do you understand that? I know the world tells you every week in a million different ways that you're basically good at heart. It's not the assessment of the Bible. The assessment of the Bible is that we do not deserve God's favor. All of us like sheep have gone astray. All of us have gone according to our own way. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. The heart is deceitful above all else and desperately sick. Who can know it? The Bible goes on and on and on and on with verse after verse after verse giving God's assessment of the human heart and it is not a good assessment. The Bible's assessment of the human race is that we are in trouble. It goes all the way back to Adam and it continues through to you and me as we forsake the God who made us, the God who owns us, 
As we forsake the God worthy of our love, worthy of our obedience, the God who is perfect in every way, the God who loves us more than we love ourselves, and yet we put Him to the side and we say we want to live our own lives our own way. If God wants to help me out from time to time, that's great, but I will be my own master. I will make my own choices. I will follow my own path. My heart belongs to me. That is the natural state of every human being. As the Bible says, we are by nature at enmity with God. We may say good things about God. We may say good things about His Son. We may come to church. We may do this religious thing or that religious thing. But when God says, my will is this, and your heart says, but I want to do that, we tend to say, I follow my heart, not God. And in that moment, we show who we truly worship. We show who our true Lord is. Think about the Ten Commandments. Given from God to us for our good, for our benefit. The Ten Commandments are given to us because God loves us. He wants us to know the way of blessing, the way of righteousness, the way that will make us most holy and most happy. And what do we do with God's commands? We love other things more than God and break the first commandment. We refuse to accept God as He has revealed Himself. And instead, we fashion God in our minds to be the way we want Him to be. You know, when I think of God, I think of Him as this. And we create God in our own image, breaking the second commandment. We treat God's name with disrespect and dishonor. We do not keep the Sabbath day. We we turn the Lord's day into NFL day or shopping day or golf day and give the chief attention of our hearts to other things than God on His day. We disrespect our parents. We hate people in our hearts and wish they were dead. We lust after other people's bodies who are not ours in marriage. We take what doesn't belong to us. We lie or tell half-truths to cover our sins and to protect our reputations. And we covet the things that other people have. Friends, if we are honest with ourselves, when we set our lives next to the Ten Commandments, we will find that we are guilty on every count. The Bible's assessment of you and me is that there is something wrong with us. Our hearts have become twisted and broken. The Bible says that we have made ourselves enemies with God. And friends, God is not someone you want to have as your enemy. You will not win that battle. Do you understand that? If God is your enemy, you will not win that battle. He is stronger than you. Justice is on His side. He will righteously cast you into hell. And you will deserve it. And He will be right in doing so. Good will have won. God in His great mercy has made us a way of salvation. God, despite His righteous anger at all of our sins, 
has made a way for us to be forgiven, for us to be right in His sight, for us to enter into His overwhelming love and to be with Him in heaven forever. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, the life. No one comes to the Father but by me. It is through Jesus Christ God so loves His Son that He has made His Son the one way, the mediator, the bridge through which you can be reconciled to God. Oh, friends, do you want peace with God? Do you want heaven? Do you want the assurance that your sins are forgiven? Do you want to be able to sleep at night and not have to worry about death or what's going to happen to you when you die? Do you want to be able to enjoy sweet communion with God? Feel like God is not someone you have to hide from, but God is someone you can run to and embrace? then listen to what Jesus is saying to us in these three verses. Jesus comes to us with an invitation. Note three things. Three things about this invitation. First, note that it is a particular invitation. It is a particular invitation. This invitation is not given to everybody. So you see if you qualify. Because Jesus' invitation, come to me, is not given to everybody. He says, come to me all who labor and are heavy laden. In other words, here is the requirement that God places on who can be saved. If you want to be saved, you must be one of those who knows what it is to be burdened. You must know what it is to be heavy laden. Put yourself in the crowd that Jesus was speaking to. These people were under the teaching of the Pharisees. And the Pharisees were the dominant religious and political group among the common people. The, The Pharisees taught that to be right with God, you had to live a religious life of law keeping. They taught that you had to make yourself good enough for God. In this crowd, there were two kinds of people. One group believed they were doing well. These people were confident that God was pleased with them. These people were self-righteous. They were, they were prideful. They were sure that they had been good enough, that God must love them. These people were not spiritually weary. These people were not spiritually burdened. They placed their stock in their own assessment that I'm a decent person, I've done pretty well, I'm not as bad as so-and-so over there, and therefore I am sure that God loves me. And friends, Jesus did not give an invitation to them. They received no offer of salvation from Christ. If you are in this boat of thinking that you've lived a decent life thus far, and therefore you must be okay with God, The Bible says you have no hope of salvation. Jesus did not come to call the righteous, that is, those who think they are righteous, to salvation. He came to call sinners, that is, those who know that they are sinners. Those who see their need for salvation. It's interesting. 
Every time Jesus met someone like this in the Gospels, someone who was confident in themselves, someone who thought, I'm a pretty good person, God must love me, Jesus, kind, gentle Jesus, spoke harsh words to them. Did you know Jesus spoke harsh words? (laughs) Did you know that Jesus said strong things? Oh, He did. When he met somebody who was full of pride, he spoke sharply to them because he was trying to break through to help them see, you think you're righteous, you think you're decent, but your righteousness are like filthy rags before the God who made you. Jesus said these people are like whitewashed tombs. They look all decent and clean on the outside, but there's death on the inside. Maybe others look at you and think that you're a decent human being. But dear friends, surely you know the truth. Surely you know how seldom you give God the glory He is due. Surely you know the wicked thoughts that pass through your mind. You you see your secret sins. Your secret sins are secret to others, but your secret sins are not a secret to you. And they are not a secret to God. So you, more than anyone else in this room, knows the truth about your life. You, more than anybody else in this room, knows the sin that is there. The greed, the lust, the corruption, the pride, the lack of love, the self-centeredness. Will you still say, oh, but I'm good enough. God will find favor with me. Are you like the critically ill patient who refuses to acknowledge the cancer that is inside of him? Jesus came to call the sinners, not the righteous. And until you come to a place where you can say, I have no hope in and of myself to ever be right with God, you have no hope. You must come to that place. Self-esteem is not the answer. The self-esteem gospel will take you to hell. It is humbling yourself like a little child and saying, I have nothing that I need to be right with God and therefore calling on Him to provide, trusting in Him, looking away from yourself to Him. That is the way of salvation. There was this second kind of people in the crowd. This group of people who did know their sins. This group of people who knew how many times they had messed up. This group of people that knew their own hearts were so prone to do the very things that God said not to do. And their hearts were so prone to not do the very things God had said to do. And these were the people who were trying to be faithful and they they went to the synagogue each Sabbath and they heard the Pharisees say, you must do this and you must do that and you must do this and you must do that. And they were trying so hard to keep all of these laws and they were just falling and falling again and again and they wanted to be right with God and they were weary. They were heavy laden. They were broken hearted. Is there any hope for them? They wanted to know, is there any way that I can be right with God? It's not going to be through law-keeping. I figured that out. I fall on my face every single day. It is to these people that Jesus comes with compassion, with tenderness in His voice. And He says, come to Me, O hurting soul. Come to Me. 
you are here and you know your sin and you know that your best works won't cut it before a holy God, then it is to you that Jesus is speaking in this invitation. You are right. You will never be able to keep the law perfectly. Your past sins do stand against you, accusing you in the courts of heaven. But there is nothing you can do to make these sins go away. But there is something God can do. There is a way of salvation. Jesus sees you in your desperation, and He comes to you with the simplest of all commands. Here is the great command. Here's what you must do to be saved. It's not this huge ladder of works that you must accomplish. Here is the command, the duty, the obligation that God places on you in order for you to be saved. Here it is. Come to me. Come to me. Notice this is a personal invitation. This is number two. It's a personal invitation. It's not an invitation to come to church. It's not an invitation to come to the altar. It's not an invitation to come to the river and be baptized. It's an invitation to come to Christ Himself. To be a Christian is not merely to believe things about Christ. To be a Christian is not merely to say good things about Christ. Nor is being a Christian simply being baptized in Christ's name or being a part of Christ's church. Fundamentally, to be a Christian is to actually come to Him, to know Him, to have a relationship with Him, to rest in Him. Justin, what does that mean? What does it mean to come to Christ? Well, he tells us. Look at verse 29. He tells us what it means to come to Christ. Verse 29, he says, Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. Friends, don't water this down. To come to Christ is to take His yoke upon you. Right? A farmer, children, if you don't know what a yoke is, pay attention. A farmer takes a yoke and, and places it on his ox so that he can steer the ox through the fields as he plows. So Jesus says that to be a Christian is for Him to come and to put a yoke upon you. Jesus steering your life as He accomplishes His purposes through you. So let's not water this down. To become a Christian does mean Jesus becomes your master. It does. You're no longer the head of you. He's the head of you. And to become a Christian does mean that, that His will becomes the direction for your life. You submit your will to His will and what Christ says, you trust that more than your own heart. To come to Christ does mean to become a disciple. You're going to turn from your own life of doing things your own way. You're going to begin a new life of doing things Christ's way. This is where so many in Rocky Mount and beyond have gone so, so very wrong. They think of Jesus as their fire insurance, their get-out-of-hell-free card. They don't really care about Jesus. They don't 
talk to Jesus. They don't come to church to learn what he has to say to them and then take that word and and have it come to bear upon their lives and submit themselves to that word. Thank Jesus for his guidance. Live out what he says. They don't open their Bibles. They don't change their lifestyles. Friends, you have to understand, it does not matter if you've walked an aisle. It does not matter if you've gotten baptized. It does not matter if you've joined a church. If you are still living however you want to live, rather than looking to Jesus and following His ways, submitting to Him by biblical definition, you are not a Christian. And if I can do nothing else for you this morning, at least I can take away the deception of the devil so you leave this room going, wait a minute, I'm not a Christian. Somehow we've forgotten the most obvious thing about being a disciple of Jesus, which is that it means being a disciple of Jesus. Coming to Him, learning from Him, following Him, saying, I trust you more than I trust myself. My heart says go this way. You say go that way. I trust you even when it's hard. And so my life is yours. This is non-negotiable. Jesus says, John 14, 15, If you love me, you will keep my commandments. 1 John 2, By this we know that we have come to know him, if we keep his commandments. Whoever says, I know him, but does not keep his commandments, is a liar, and the truth is not in him. I trust Jesus. What Jesus says, you need to be in a Bible-teaching church where your soul can be cared for. Now, do you trust Him or not? I trust Jesus. Jesus says, you need to forgive that person who has hurt you so deeply. Now, do you trust Him or not? I trust Jesus. Jesus says that your first concern in life should be the things of God and the kingdom of God and the things of eternity, not the stuff of this world. Now, do you trust Him or not? To be a Christian is to take what Christ says to heart, to trust Him and to follow Him. See, it's so easy to say, I trust Jesus. It's another thing to actually take Jesus' yoke upon you. Hand Jesus the reins and say, Jesus, I am yours. I am happy to be yours. I know now that you're wiser than me. You're smarter than me. You love me more than I love myself. Your way is perfect. Your way is better. If I keep leading my life, it's just going to go in a mess. And so I trust you. And so I ask you, have you come to Christ really? Is He truly your Lord and Savior. It's a particular invitation. It's a personal invitation. Number three, it is a precious invitation. It is so precious. Jesus says in verses 29 and 30, Take my yoke upon you. Learn from me. You will find rest for your souls. Find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. You see, when we come to Christ truly, We no longer have to carry the burden of trying to be good enough for God. Jesus has done everything, everything necessary to make us right with God. He lived the perfect life we failed to live. And when we believe on Him, God counts the perfect life of Jesus to your account. He he dresses you. Think um, Think of the perfect life of Jesus over 33 years 
as a robe of righteousness being woven every day by the perfect life of Jesus. And when you believe on Jesus, God sets that righteous robe on you so that when He sees you, He sees the glory of His Son. So your sins are not even seen by Him. In fact, Jesus went to the cross, took the punishment you deserve if you believe on Christ, so that now there is no hell for you. It's all been taken and all of the sins are gone. This is the glory of the gospel. Jesus has done everything, absolutely everything, to make it where all you have to do to be right with God is to come. To come to Christ. This is why coming to Jesus offers such sweet rest. The moment you come to Jesus, you are given full, perfect peace with God, a peace that lasts forever. The moment you come to Jesus, He becomes your Father and you His child. The moment you come to Jesus, His Spirit is now yours, living in you. The precious promises of the Bible become yours. You don't have to live each day wondering, I hope I haven't displeased God. I hope God doesn't love me less today than He did yesterday. No, God's love for you is constant and the same yesterday, today, and forever. You live in the sweet security of knowing that your God loves you and is for you and is bringing you to Himself. Friends, to be a Christian is to follow Jesus because you're living in the love of Jesus for you. You're bathing in this ocean of love so that come what may, you're at peace. You're content. This is the sweet rest that Jesus gives to the souls of those who come to Him. Now, I do want to ask this question. Why does Jesus say His yoke is easy and His burden is light? Understand, when a person comes to Jesus, that person doesn't know what Jesus might require of him or her. Right? That is, when a person says, okay, I surrender, I'm going to follow Jesus, you don't know if Jesus might say, good, go to Africa. You don't know if Jesus might say, good, pick up your family, move to an urban center, and start laying down your life for the poor. You don't know if Jesus might call you to do something you you never imagined, even to die as a martyr in His name in a hard place trying to share the Gospel. And we know that Jesus calls all His people to love their enemies. Jesus calls all His people to give of their money, their possessions, their time. Jesus calls all His people to fight the bloody battles against pride and hatred and lust in our hearts. These are hard things. These are hard battles. Why would Jesus say that this is easy and light? Doesn't sound easy. Doesn't sound light. Well, Jesus can say that His yoke is easy and His burden is light because when we come to Jesus, He doesn't just give us these instructions about how to live, but He then gives us His own Spirit to help us obey. He gives us His own strength to fulfill His commands. He gives us promises to encourage us in the commands. He gives us fellow believers to love us and keep us going. And more than that, though Jesus is our Master and He gives us these commands, He also calls us His friends. He treats us with love and tenderness. Jesus stoops to be with us every moment of every day, giving us grace in every situation. 
Jesus does not treat us as his servants. He treats us as his sheep, his church, his bride, his very own body. When we are slow to learn, we're trying to follow Jesus, but we just keep messing up. Jesus is so patient with us. He weeps as we weep. He rejoices as we rejoice. He works in our hearts so that we now have desires to do things that we used to not desire at all. And we now have no desire to do the things that we used to love so much. When we truly come to Christ, we now say that Christ's will is our will. His desire is our desire. And He begins to work so that a yoke that would be very, very hard from an earthly perspective, becomes very, very easy. We begin to have rest, even in the hard life of following Christ. I'm going to make two just very quick closing points. Note that this is a spiritual rest. He says that it is a rest for our souls, not our bodies. So nobody hear me saying, Jesus promises a life of ease. Nobody hear me saying, Jesus promises, follow me and I'll make you healthy, I'll make you wealthy. That's not what Jesus says. Jesus says, if you follow me, your life may be hard, you may get diseases, you will lose loved ones, you may lose your job, the economy may plummet, terrorists may attack, a hurricane may hit, any of that may happen. And as you walk through it, I will give you rest for your soul. It is spiritual rest. It is the rest that matters. What a gift. What a gift that even through tears, as Christians suffer real pain, they still have a deep-seated peace and happiness because they know that they live in the love of Jesus Christ. And then the second point I would make is that this rest is not only a spiritual rest, but it is both a present and a future rest. That is, when we come to Christ and we submit ourselves to Him and we say, yes, I'm going to take your yoke upon me, we can have real assurance that very moment that we believe that we are right with God and there is a real assurance, a real peace that our hearts can have that very moment. But then as we begin to walk with God through this trial, through that trial, through this trial, the rest that is in our souls begins to increase and grow, be cultivated. And then, when we finally breathe our last and go to be with God forever, that is when we enter into a fullness of rest that is beyond anything we have ever imagined before. And that's the greatest rest of all. So, I've preached my message. God is holy. We are sinners. God has made a way of salvation through Jesus Christ. All you have to do is stop being the master of your own life, submit to Christ, and trust Him. Trust Him. Would you do that? Will you submit your life to Him and trust in Him as the only way to make you right with God? Now, friends, count the cost. Know what you're doing. Don't walk into this blindly. I'm not promising you that Jesus might not call you to Africa tomorrow if you come to Christ today. He might. I am promising you he'll give you all the strength and grace you need to do it and to do so with rest in your soul. How do we come to Christ? You go to him in prayer. You tell him what you're feeling. You tell him what you've decided. You tell him that you're now trusting in him and what he has done for you. 
You declare to Christ that you want to follow him. You declare to him that you were resolved to now walk in his ways. And then you go out and you do it. You follow Christ. You show it through baptism. You show it through church membership. You show it through the way you relate to your co-workers on Monday. But you go to him in prayer. You give your life to him. And then you show it by truly following him. So dear friends, I stand here as an ambassador of the Lord Jesus Christ for your good. And here's the invitation. Will you come to Christ? I pray that you will. Let's pray.